Last night we had the Mass of Remembrance here, which is basically when we invite all of the people whose relatives have passed in the past year and the opportunity to pray for them, to remember them, to light a candle for them. And all the names of those who had deceased were read. And as I was sitting there listening to all these names, you know, so many faces, so many memories come back. And I can only imagine it's the same for everybody who's there, whether it's instances of their loved ones. And I'm going back to moments in the nursing home, seeing them and giving them the last rites and all those, those sorts of things. And it's one of the kind of the beautiful aspects that I get to be a part of is people's last, last moments, the last time they receive the Eucharist or when families tell each other that they love, him, love each other for the last time. And of course, sometimes those moments are really hard. Sometimes they're really beautiful. But and even leading up to those moments can be hard. You know, you go into a into a like a, a memory unit at a nursing home where there's a lot of people with dementia. It can be rather difficult. As people, you know, you go, you see your loved one, and they don't remember your face. They can't remember what they had for lunch earlier. But it's always amazing what people do remember. What people actually kind of what sticks in their head. And recently, I've just noticed that. One of the last things that ever, that are one of the last things people remember is the Our Father. They can forget so many things. They can forget their children's names. They can forget what they had for lunch. But somehow at the last thing, you make the sign of the cross and you start the Our Father and you begin to see somebody's lips move. That is just beautiful. That that's one of the things that gets drilled into our memories and doesn't leave is this Our Father. And of course, it's because we pray it multiple times a day, maybe, whenever we're praying the rosary six times or every time we come to Sunday Mass, that it's one of those things that just gets so ingrained in part of who we are. In Jesus' own time, of course, he's just giving them the Our Father. It's not, it's not already present in them. But what would have been the prayer and the part of Scripture that every person in the Jewish faith would have known and repeated time after time would be our first reading today from the book of Deuteronomy. They called it the Shema. Basically, it's Hebrew for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. They would have repeated this who knows how many times a day, at least, well, at least three times a day. This would have been the prayer on their lips. This would have been the scripture that's animating to love the Lord their God with all their strength, with everything that they have. And so it's really no surprise when this scribe comes up to our Lord and says, well, what's, what's the top, what's the number one commandment in the law? And the Lord begins to tell him, hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. But something really interesting happens as Jesus tells him this. Because in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, basically three things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Jesus slips something else in, which you could imagine this. If you were praying the Our Father with somebody and they add an extra petition in there, you'd be like, wait a minute, what, you, what did you just add to the Our Father? Something similar would have happened. Because listen, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus kind of slips in this, love the Lord with all of your mind. And even as the scribe parodies back to what he says, he says, oh, you're right in saying you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He doesn't mention the whole mind business, right? This whole kind of Jesus just slips it in and it gets, it just kind of, he misses it. Maybe he hears it and he's like, nah, maybe Jesus just misspoke. Maybe he's had a long day. 
But of course our Lord's just not throwing things off the cuff, right? Everything our Lord Jesus Christ says is so particular, is without, is without just kind of coincidence. So what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all of our mind? Well, it can mean a whole lot of different things. I mean, for one, it can mean not to waste our mental capacity on frivolous things, right? When we're here at Mass today, it's probably best not for my mind to be on whoever the Bengals or the Browns are playing today, right? The, the waste of a good mind is, is pretty, it's not a good thing to have our minds focused on what's actually important. And then it can also mean to let our minds be formed by the Lord and by the teachings of the church so that our minds are actually in the right place, that we're not making up how things go for ourselves, but we actually let the church and the voice of God form our minds and what we're thinking. But maybe in a special and in a particular way to love the Lord with all of our mind has something to do with our prayer life, specifically our own mental prayer, our own meditation, that this is part and parcel of every single Christian to take time to meditate, to take time to pray every single day. And sometimes we think, well, that's for, that's for cloistered religious sisters, that's for priests, that's for you know, my grandparents. But Jesus says this is for everybody, for every one of us to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, to meditate, to participate in mental prayer, to pray with our minds every single day. And sometimes when we think about, well, what does it mean to actually meditate? What does it mean to, to pray? Sometimes that meditation that we, we get like a whole like Buddhist contempt, our idea of what that is. You know, let's just empty our minds so they're free of anything else. And although that might be the way sometimes I live my day, that's not actually an empty mind is, is not the way we're supposed to. Because a Christian version of meditation and Christ's understanding of prayer is not to empty our minds, but to actually fill it with something else, to fill our minds with the things of God. And it's not an easy task. And the, the catechism has four great paragraphs about this, and I highly encourage you to read them. 2705 to 2708, just beautiful. And the very start of it says something along the lines of talking about meditation and mental prayer, that it's part of the great quest of the Christian life, right? It's an adventure. It's not something that really comes easy, but it's something to strive for. It's something to work for, for this, this prayer, because basically getting to know the Lord, ruminating over the things of God. And Mary gives this great image in the Gospel of Luke, you know, after the angel comes to, to Mary, we hear that Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. And that's basically what this meditation, what mental prayer is, not being empty, but allowing the Lord to fill us with who he is and becoming more familiar with God, knowing him better, loving him better. And that's the goal. It's not just to check it off the list to say, okay, a good Christian prays, I'm going to pray but it's to grow in the love of God so that we can love the Lord our God with all our mind and with all our strength. But oftentimes we don't know how to pray. And even the apostles come up to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us, teach us how to pray. And the Lord does. He gives them the Our Father. But for us, of course, some of the prayers are just those ones we learn as a child, whether it's the Our Father or the Hail Mary. But oftentimes nobody teaches us how to meditate. How to, how to pray with our minds. And there's tons of methods, right? There's tons of spiritual masters, but just to outline a very, a very basic kind of structure is to first set the time aside 
And even as Jesus mentions, to go to the inner room, lock the door and pray to our Father in secret. That's what we begin to do, to just set aside this time to pray. And probably for us, if you're gonna add something for our own day and age, and set down the phone, right? Put away the iPad and take the time to pray. Turn off the TV, set aside that time. Maybe it's in the morning when our minds don't have a thousand other things or we're not pulled in a bunch of different directions, but maybe we're night owls and that's, that's a better time for us. And then once we kind of set aside the time to begin with some sort of invocation, and maybe that means we pray one our Father with just the most focus that we possibly can and with the most peace and giving it such doing it so slowly. Or maybe we just go to the Lord and we come up with our own prayer and say, Lord, I give you this time. I give you these 20 minutes to just to to pray with you and to you and send forth your Holy Spirit upon me. Guide him in this time. Guide me in this time of meditation. Maybe if you get an opportunity to pray before in the church, you recognize you're here before the blessed sacrament and the Lord's presence is here or maybe just the fact that you've been baptized and the Lord dwells in your soul and the Holy Spirit is in your heart. So we set aside that time. We go to that place. We invoke God. And then oftentimes we need some sort of input, right? We need something to chew on. We need something to, to talk to the Lord about. And the Gospels are such a great place for that. We go to these scriptures and we read them slowly, maybe once, maybe twice. But maybe we're more visual people. And you can come into a church like this and you can just look around and there's so many different things to pray about. There's so many different images to meditate upon. That's why we fill this place with images. To think about Christ here and this, this uh, mural that's being painted right above me and the offering a father makes of their child. But there's so many different, whether it's art, maybe it's the beauty of nature, but oftentimes it's the Gospels that we use as kind of input or what we're gonna meditate upon. And then we ponder and we think, we ask questions. And maybe if it's the gospels, we, we imagine, we use our imaginations to run wild and think about, okay, Lord, I see you there giving this, this scribe coming up to you and he's not really inquisitive, right? He's not trying to stick you, but he really wants to know. And right, we can use our imaginations to picture the scene. And kids can do it great. And you can do this with your children to teach them how to meditate, to invite them to imagine what does this look like? Who else is there? What's the look on their face? What kind of scenery? What's going on around Jesus? And then we can apply it to ourselves. Say, well, Lord, what's the first commandment for my life? What's most important in my own life? And this guy gets this response. You're not far from the kingdom. But that you're not far from the kingdom still implies, well, there's a way, there's still a ways to go, right? It means he's on the right track, but he's not quite there. And that can mean a whole lot for our own lives. And we take that and say, okay, Lord, what, it, what do you mean? What, I'm maybe not far, but there's still something else maybe I should do. So we ponder and we draw conclusions. We praise God. We apply it to ourselves. We see what kind of stirs in our heart as we use our imaginations or or maybe we just find a, a, a single line here and it just pierces us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then, so we take this time, we do some sort of invocation. There's some, something we chew on, right? An a, a artwork, a gospel, and then we ponder it. We ponder it in our hearts. And the last thing, and maybe something we oftentimes forget, is we make a resolution. 
We say, because I've prayed about this, there's something in my life I need to do, right? And that just doesn't, that helps to connect our prayer life and our active life. So it's not, well, prayer was great, let's go back to work. But it's actually, because the Lord was good, because the Lord was present to me, my life has to change. And maybe that's not a huge change. Maybe that just means I'm realizing what the Lord has done in my life and I gotta tell my spouse that I love them because they're such a great sign of my love. Or, or I kind of was a little short with a child and because of that, all right, I've gotta go and check and see how they're doing. But to connect our prayer life and our active life with some sort of resolution, some sort of effect. And this is kind of the path of prayer. And maybe the, the question, you know, some people, I, I don't know if I have time for that. And St. Francis de Sales, who's the patron saint of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and one of the great doctors of the church and did a bunch of spiritual direct and direction for, for regular people, for, for husbands, for wives, for people working hours a day. He was asked, well, Francis, Bishop, how often, how long should somebody pray a day? And he said, I think for ordinary people, about an hour a day is a good goal. Ooh, I don't know if I can find another hour in a day. I know that's, that's, that's a lot, but it could be a goal. Be a goal that we set. Maybe by the time we're retired, we're able to find an hour a day. Maybe we just start with 10 minutes to find a gospel and ponder it. And maybe each year we can add five minutes, right? Each year with our New Year's resolution, let's just add three more minutes of prayer, five more minutes of prayer, just to build in this muscle. Because ultimately what this is, is not to check off not to say, how much do you pray? How much do you pray? Well, I'm doing better than that person. But ultimately, it's so that the love of God may be instilled in our hearts so that we may know just how good God is, that he loves us, and so that when the day comes, when you and I are sitting, laying on our deathbeds, which will come for all of us, we're excited. We've come to know Jesus Christ and we look forward to being with him for all eternity. At the end of the day, that's the goal of our prayer lives, so that we may know God better, so that we may love him better, and we may look forward to being with him for all eternity. That's why we do this, to build in us the love of God, who's so, so good to us. And so that when our days are over, and somebody comes into our rooms, our our hospital room or whatever it is for the last time, and we begin to hear that familiar phrase of the Our Father, we'll be able to say it, maybe just to mumble it with our lips, but we'll say it with our hearts. We'll know that it's the good Lord who's taking care of us all of our lives. And through this path of meditation, through this path of mental prayer, we've loved the God, good Lord with all of our minds. We've loved him with all our strength, with all our heart and with all our soul. And we look forward to being able to spend eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ.